Good morning to you, as we say in Charleston, top of the morning to you. God, yes. Boy, it does feel kind of Irish today. I, I don't know why I woke up and I started using the Irish accent this morning. And so if you came in today and I said top of the morning to you, I just want to let you know where it's coming from. It's coming from a good place. You know, um, it, but it really does. It feels, I just kind of like go with themes in my life. If it's a cloudy day, I find a country that has that as a theme and I just go with it. But if you're visiting Charleston, again, we apologize. If you'll just wait two more days, it will be 90 degrees, and you'll want to get the heck out of here because the humidity is so bad. But it's still the greatest city in the country, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, absolutely amazing city. Uh, so two weeks ago, I'm excited about today. Today's going to be challenging, but it's also going to be a little bit of fun. Um, so, uh, but I'm excited because we've been talking about working this system. And we saw that we, we worked the system in a lot of different ways, politically, financially, uh, relationally. Sometimes we'll work a system to try to get a certain outcome. And we talked about how God is not a system to be worked, though we present it that way, particularly in the Bible Belt, or if you were raised Catholic, there were certain you know, systems that were in place that you had to, at the age of eight, you had to uh, do your first communion, and then at the age of 12, you became, uh, what was that, confirmation, you did confirmation, and, and there was a whole lot of different things. And, and we're not saying there's a pr problem with systems, but it is not the core calling of Christianity. We're called into relationship, just like in marriage. It's, it's not just about living together or combining your finances or owning property, and those things are, about, are, are part of marriage. But it's more about relationship. And we learned that there are systems in Christianity, but, but rather it, they flow out of protecting this beautiful relationship that we have with God or developing that relationship with God. But it starts with relationship first. And Jesus taught this idea and blended it perfectly in a metaphor of this idea of system and relationship, organics with, with, with ethics and all the other things that go on in this relationship. But he described it this way. He said, I am the, vi I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. My, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will bear more fruit. That sounds like a system, that, that God's got a system that he's working, but it's in context of relationship, abiding and connecting, and that's our important word. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." So you hear this, this beautiful, rich blend of starting with relationship, connectiveness, but then there's also this part of abiding, this, that's, it's kind of a systems word, but it's better than a systems word. It's not just task, it's remaining in this relationship. And so he gave us this idea of abiding and flourishing, and then talked about that if we don't abide, that, that if we don't maintain this relationship, that the branches dry up and um, don't bear fruit. So when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about a more accurate picture of 
We're not working the system of Christianity, but we're in relationship. But yet there are some things that need to be done in this relationship that seem system-like, you know, and so, but we're not working the system. And as my attitude has changed by writing this sermon, I realized something that's never happened before, is that I have to actually change the title of what this series is because it started off as working the system and exposing what working the system is. But it seems to have now transitioned into this word abiding, a better story. And so it's, it's really cool because this idea of working a system has, has forced me to change actually the title. And what I'm hoping is that same transition is happening in your mind that this idea of Christianity, the things that you do, that you gotta do. I mean, uh, uh, w when you join a church, what do we do? We normally present you a, a system. And we will say a system involves you giving money, you serving in the nursery, uh, you rotating the pastor's tires. Uh, I mean, all, all, all kinds of different systems that you have to work in order to be a part of it. And, and we make a mistake doing that. And now, are there things that are a part of being a part of the community of God? Absolutely. But what we've learned is that when that system precedes the relationship, we fall away. We fall away. When I get, when I get stuck into theology, and I love theology, and I love philosophy, when I, just, when I reduce God down to a philosophical argument, the cos cosmological argument, uh, the Kalam argument, whatever it may be, and, and I can rationalize and argue and all this other stuff, it's funny, the, the, the more I lean in that direction, the less I feel connected to God. It's not because it's anti-God, but God's like, you know this is not about this argument, right? You know it's, it's, it's not theology for theology's sake, right? You know it's, this is all just system words that point back to the prior thing, the, the more important thing, and that's the relationship thing. So I've been learning about abiding in God. And, and so Jesus calls us to abide, to abide in his story, his words, his promises, his empowerment, his example, his principles, his mission. And, and, and I believe these things are essentially Jesus. I, I believe that if, if we touch and connect with these things, that we are essentially connecting to what is at the very heart of who Jesus is. So we talked about abiding in his story last week. Um, but let me ask you this. Why his story? Um, why abide in his words? I mean, really, just think about why would we just go to Jesus on this? Um, aren't there other stories out there that we could connect with? Uh, and couldn't I just follow one of those stories? And maybe even on my own personal life. What is my personal journey? I, I am a rationalist. How did I end up in the Jesus story of all the other stories that are out there? And so um, uh, why follow him and, and listen to his words? You know, I experienced the same lapse of understanding um, when I watch Marvel movies, okay? We're kind of in a season right now, or I should say like a week of, of, 
of Marvel and Star Wars, and we just had May the 4th be with you. That's like a holy day of obligation in my family. It's a, it's a very important day, but the new Doctor Strange movie just came out, and uh, I went and saw it on the first night. You know, I'm, I'm really into it. My, my family went. and So when I look at the stories, though, there's a lot of cool actors, a lot of cool characters in the story. Um, a lot of cool individual stories, and they release them in stories. We started off with uh, the Captain America story. You know, America's, America's butt. I mean, he's like, uh, he's like the guy. And, and, and I, it's funny, half of you don't even know what I'm talking about when I said America's butt. It's, it means you haven't seen the movie. Um, he's just a, a per, anatomically perfect male and, you know, in, in a suit that... Uh, I think you would appreciate. Yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know Pat. Yeah. Um, but so it starts off with this incredible story of Captain America. We all love him. Then we go to Iron Man. And then we get, we, we love Iron Man. We love everything about Iron Man. He's a pretty cool guy. Then there's the Ant-Man story. And that's a whole other group of movies. There's two movies, Ant-Man and Wasp. Um, then there's Doctor Strange, he's, who's really cool. I think Doctor Strange is kind of up there. And then, then Black Panther. I think Black Panther and, and Doctor Strange are like my favorite ones. And, and then you've had a couple others. You have Guardians comes along and Star-Lord. And, and you have all these individual stories. And, and the list just goes on. And I think we pick our favorites based upon uh, which one we identify with, you know, which one we wish we could look like. I think that's kind of like where we, most of us go with Thor. I mean, we all, you know, there's something about the story, the character in the story that we identify with, and we grab a hold of it so that you could have, you could say you're not into uh, Spider-Man, but you are into Thor, or you're, you're into one of, one of these other characters. So well, as I was watching the new Doctor Strange movie, and I won't, I won't say anything about it to ruin it for you, but as I was seeing all this happening, I, I began to get a little confused. Um, because I'm wondering, everybody's a superhero, and then you got mutants that are, are going to pop in here any day. Yeah, one day mutants are going to come in. You know, um, uh, Wolverine and all those guys. Well, who's the most powerful? I mean, who's... Who's the dude or the, the gal? I mean, who is, who is the one that is the most powerful? Because you see all these battles and, and, and Hulk punches Iron Man, then Iron Man comes back with a bigger suit and then beats up Hulk. And then, Iron, then Hulk goes to Ragnarok. And then while he's there, uh, Thor beats up Hulk. And, and it's like, oh my goodness. I'm looking for... Who's got the best story in the middle of this? Iron Man is cool, but if he can't beat Thor, he's just a guy with, really, with a really good suit and really cool cars, you know? Um, so I set out to find out who is the most powerful in the MCU. I know you came here today needing the answer to who is the most powerful. Now, let me just tell you, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is different than Marvel. Okay, the Marvel Cinematic, uh, Cinematic Universe is just the characters that have been revealed through the movies. If we were to go based upon the comics, if you're sitting next to a 
deep diving nerd, if you were sitting next to them, they're gonna shake their head all morning. Uh, I mean, it's like, that's not who's most powerful. That's not who's most powerful. And I get it, and they're probably right. I'm just working with the ones that we as Americans who go to movies are familiar with. So I found out the rankings of them. At number 10 comes Droog from The Eternals. Number nine, Vision. Number eight, Iron Man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Iron Man, he's down pretty low. Number seven, and this one can be disputed, Doctor Strange. At uh, uh, number six, The Hulk. At um, number five, Shang-Chi comes in at number five. And I forgot, he is probably my favorite. Yeah, that, that, he, he was incredible. Number four is Thor. At number three, this is, can be really disputed, but Ant-Man comes in at number three, if that's a surprise. Uh, at number two, Captain Marvel. And just for fun, at number one, all of you who know, yell out this person's name. Ah. Uh. Okay, there is a loser in the crowd. Okay, we don't deal with DC. That's another story. Okay, just to prove my point, you got to pick a story and go with it. Scarlet Witch is the most powerful character that you have seen so far in the movies. And the reason why this is important is that there are many powerful characters in your life. Um, have you figured out who is the most powerful? We have all kinds of entities that are presenting themselves to us daily that we have to deal with. Governmental powers. We're told about the devil, the power of an ex-wife, the power of a school board, the power of your mom or your dad, the power of the IRS, the people that you work for, the power of someone who in the past maybe abused you or caused you pain, the power of your children in your life, the power of death in your life, the power of the DMV, in your life. Did I mention death in your life? These are all entities in the story, in our, in our universe. These are all things that we encounter that have power. But have we determined who is the most powerful entity in our universe? Who determines the story? And there are so many stories in our lives. There's our gender story. There's our religious stories. There are our racial stories. There are family stories. There are genetic stories. Our medical history story. And all these become like the release of Thor 2 or Iron Man 
three. And they become these episodic movies that we see in our lives. We go through these different times, a racial season, a marriage season, a divorce season, a parenting season, an aging season, a sick season, a flourishing, a diminishing season in our life. And they're all like released every year in the summer coming in 2022, you know, um, Top Gun 2 being released. And, and in the middle of it all, we get confused. What is it about? And, and who is the most powerful entity in my story? Sometimes I think we forget in the middle of it, the power rankings. And where does Jesus fit into the power rankings? I mean, really think about it. Where does Jesus fit in the power rankings of your story? Sometimes Jesus is just a friend in a time of trouble. He's like number between Thor and the Hulk someplace. He's just a really good friend. Sometimes um, he does something good for me. So he falls in between, you know, maybe Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, that sometimes I can ask him to help me get a job. Um, Sometimes he appears as a significant historical figure and, and he gets ranked in his impact in history. I think we forget in the MCU and as well as the universe that you are now finding yourself living in that he is greater than Scarlet Witch. He's greater than death. He's greater than any other character that is releasing a movie in your life right now. And I don't know what movie it is that's being released because we're all having differing experiences to some degree. And maybe pain has been released into your life this spring. Maybe loneliness has been released into your life. Maybe loss. Uh, and, and, and you've got to ask yourself the question, who is the most powerful entity in this season of my life? Who is the one that, that is really in charge of this story, of what's going on? I think if we approach God the same way we approach a movie, we rate it after we watch it, we'll miss the significance of Jesus. When Jesus describes himself in Revelations 22, 13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Is that where you ranked him? Because that's a pretty significant ranking. Um, It's not I'm in the beginning, And I'm in the end, because that's how we can put Jesus. You know, he's the beginning of the story, and at the end of the story, I'll see Jesus. You know, we'll all go to heaven, and we'll see Jesus. So he's kind of like somebody who steps in a moment of time, before time, and then a moment after time. But it says, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I'm not in the beginning, and I'm not in the end. I am the beginning, and I am the end. I am the summed up of all things, all stories. I am the alpha and the omega. I stand above all other characters whose letters begin with any other letter than the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet or in the English alphabet or whatever alphabet. He says, I am above them all. And I think we forgot that. 
I think we, we do Jesus and Iron Man and Civil Liberties and Trump and Democrats. And, you know, I, I think we kind of, you know, we, we treat Jesus like an, like an episode, episodically. We're in Sunday. We're in the Jesus episode right now. On Monday, we, we, we flip the channel and we go to a different movie. We go to a different hero and we, live, we put on our Thor outfit and then we go out and do world in Thor kind of way or in Scarlet Witch kind of way. He is the beginning and the end and everything is summed up in him. That's who we're, that's who we're here gathering, worshiping and trying to become. This is the story we're abiding in. Jesus is the author and the finisher of the story. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Is that the kind of Jesus that you think about? Because I'll have to be honest with you, I, I've kind of lost the godness of Jesus. And I'd say, you know, I, I, because I know the theological implication of Jesus being God, and I, and I do to some degree understand how we get there from scripture and also from good philosophical reasoning. I understand why he has to be God and why he presented himself as God. Me and my father are one. When you have seen me, you have seen the father. Why he allowed people to worship him when it would be a direct violation of the first, second, and third commandment. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. But you know what? In the middle of my life, I've kind of seen Jesus as kind of a suffering victim just like me. And I've lost him as... Alpha and Omega, the story, the beginning, the end. I, I've kind of lost that because pain does that to you. Loss does that to you, that you lose continuity. You can't imagine anything worse than cancer. And what you don't realize is that you just put cancer at the top of your MCU. You can't, you can't think of anything worse than divorce. You can't think of anything. And then all of a sudden, it goes to the top of your list as the most powerful entity in your life. Another cinematic example that we could use, and this time it's going to come from Star Wars. And I think this is another uh, cool illustration. George Lucas is the overseeing author of Star Wars. And if you're like me, I kind of... You know, all these movies have been released over, what, 25? Well, I don't know how many. I can't do the quick math. Well, it's much more, I'm much older than that. Uh, yeah, they came out like in 76, and then it's just been going on. And then, you know, you got Solo, you got Bad Batch, you got Obi-Wan Kenobi, then you got Mandalorian, then you got New Hope and Luke Skywalker, you got Anakin Skywalker. Again, a list of characters, a list of episodes, that one's my favorite. I don't like that one. I've never seen that one. Clone Wars, they didn't know what is a clone. What's the Bad Batch? That one's animated. That one's cinematography. That one's in 4K. That one's, you know, claymation. This one over here, it's got puppets in it. And this one's got all this. And so you got all this variation and it's, you kind of get lost in this story. But one of the things that we know is that George Lucas is the overseeing author of Star Wars. He created the canon and canon is a word that we use in religious circles as well as in, in you know, Star Wars and things like that. It's, it's the measure of things. 
It is the measure of what Star Wars would be about. George Lucas determines that. Um, and though there have been all kinds of movies and comics and animations and series that have been made up, they all follow what I call a Luconian canon. I mean, doesn't that sound cool? Luconian. But it's all George Lucas. He oversees, now he's not making all the movies, but, but he oversees the original story and, and how it plays out. And what we find out is that Jesus, throughout the scripture, is declared the creator and the author of our universe story. He created the story. He revealed the story. He is in the story, and he will complete the story. I mean, if you will let me say this, he is kind of like the George Lucas or the Stan Lee of our universe. He is the mind, the author, the creator, the finisher, the alpha, the omega over the whole story. This Jesus of Nazareth, who at 33 years of age gave his life on the cross for the sins of the world and then rose on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, is the creator of the universe. I mean, Scripture has always declared that. America has not always declared that. We've kind of, we take Jesus in episodes. You say, well, where does it say this in the Bible? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And we're going to look at that word, word, word there for a second. But in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, this has never been said of Spider-Man. Or if you go into the Lord of the Rings world, because I went there too this week, and I couldn't even figure out their power structure. I mean, I mean, because we haven't even seen it in the movies. I mean, I would have to read the books. God forbid that I would have to read the books. But there's all kinds of powerful beings in there. But just know this, that what we just heard said about Jesus, there is no equal in the MCU. There is no equal in Star Wars, and there is no equal in what we have seen revealed in Lord of the Rings. Jesus is called the Logos, the Word. And that's, Logos is just a Greek word that means word, or in this particular case and how it's used in the ancient Greek, the, ex, the reasoning expression of God. It's like whatever, and, and if you just let me just kind of do it this, explain it this way. He's not just a superhero. Jesus is not the greatest Jedi. He's not American. He's not, and I want to use this, he's not a man in the, in the limited phrase of how we use it. He's greater than any character in your life. He is God walking and talking in plain sight. But when it calls him the Logos, and this is where I, I kind of, 
If you'll let me go into my abstract mind for a second here, because I try to understand how can Jesus be God and the Father be God and, and how it is the word and all this other stuff. And here's how I imagine it in my head is that, that God, and we'll, we'll say God the Father is like the, the mind of God, the reasoning of God, okay? It, it's, it's like the idea is here. Now that mind is perfect in every way, perfect in intention and in quality of knowledge and information, okay? So it's, it's the perfect mind. Now for the perfect mind to speak, it must speak perfectly, all right? So, so, so in order to reveal that perfect mind and for that mind to be revealed perfectly, it would have to have the right data, the right uh, intonation, the right um, intentionality and, and all those things. So that the only way that the mind of the Father could be represented perfectly, it would have to be another person. Because if you just made it an idea, it would be less than God. If you just made it an ethic, it would be less than God. If you just made it a principle, it would be less of God. If you just made it a painting, it would be less than God. That's why do not have any engraven images before me. It's kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't you try to represent this in your human flat world kind of way. Because the moment you start to engrave or paint this thing, he's like, you are now less than what the, the mind of God is. So there's, if God is a perfect mind, it must become a person. I don't know how that all works out, but I've watched enough of Star Wars and MCU and Batman, loser. I, you know, I've, I've watched enough of all that stuff. My imagination can go there. I can handle that. That the mind of God must be represented as a person proceeding from God. And that person is Jesus of Nazareth. So I don't know where you had him on your rankings. I don't know how important you think he is in your life. And you can tell. You can tell how much you abide in him, how important he is to you. And that's why it's so important. He says, unless you abide in me, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot abide in another story and end up with the story. The apostle Paul writes about him this way. Because I want you guys to be, be very clear because you haven't heard this. I know, I've listened to what other preachers are preaching. We're all talking about how to be the best version of you. We're trying to help you become a better person. And we don't want to make you feel bad about you. I don't want to do that either. But you know what? Um, that's not the story. This, the story, the author and the finisher of the story is Jesus, and he's much bigger and, and much more than what we are, are paying attention to. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way, and just bear with us. But let your MCU, you know, you're going you're gonna to rush off and see the new Doctor Strange, and you can handle a little sci-fi. Well, we'll handle a little bit of this imaginary abstract language. You can do this. Paul says this about Jesus, about that man that walked in Palestine, that fed the, the hungry people with the loaves and the fishes, that they said the Beatitudes, 
that healed the woman with the issue of blood that died on the cross. Listen to what he says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. My goodness, he's like he's not even on the list. He's like precedes the top 10 list, and he's after the top. I mean, he's like bigger than list. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the cross, the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That kind of talk has never been said about any character in the MCU or in Star Wars, or in Star Trek, or any other imaginary world that you have been presented. That's crazy. Nobody has even imagined the greatness of who Jesus is. It has not ever been portrayed to us. That's how great Jesus is. He's more than a Jewish Jedi. He's more than Buddha. He is more than a good teacher. He is more than the power of death. And here's the great thing. He's more than your worst failure. Because sometimes that adultery you committed stands like a character that haunts you for the rest of your life. He is greater than that. Sometimes your struggle with alcohol or addiction or the confusion surrounding your sexual identity or whatever it may be seems like the biggest character in your universe. And Jesus is here to tell you today, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am your beginning and your end. I am the first and the last. I am the Word of God in flesh. I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing story. I'm a big Star Wars fan, like I said, and I have a problem with the Jedi, and this connects with this. Yeah, they are presented to us as the good guys, aren't they? They, ask, they fight against evil. But if you've watched the movies, most of the Jedi aren't nice people. Yoda is a snarky, cryptic, green guy, and I'm not downing him because he's green. Windu is mean. Matter of fact, these are supposed to be the good guys, but if those were the good guys that I encountered, I probably would have gone to the dark side because I don't need condescension. I don't need holy people who look down on me and make snarky remarks about me and remind me how stupid and weak that I am. See, that's usually how the powerful person on the list ends up being. 
But Jesus tells us that in the middle, that Paul tells us that in the middle of Jesus being creator, the beginning, all things being summed up, that Jesus doesn't stop there. And unlike any character you've ever experienced in literature or in cinematography, we are told that this, this, I can't say creature, but this being, this person, not only is at the top of the list, reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. When did Yoda do that? The closest thing that we have to this kind of sacrifice, just the closest, is probably Iron Man in Endgame. It's probably the closest that we've got. But here is the author of life itself laying down his life for the life that he authored. So where is he on your list? Doesn't it change? I mean, if you really get a hold of this, doesn't it change what we're doing here right now? Is it going to, is it, it should change when you come up to receive the body and blood of Jesus. The, the physical, tangible expressions of the one who is over and above the list and of which there would be no list if he was not. Gave, entered into time and space and gave his life so that all the other characters of your life would move to second and third and fourth and fifth and all the way down the line. Everybody gets shoved down the list. So your fear of death, your fear of people finding out how badly you've screwed up, gets pushed down the list. Jesus came that we would have new life. So as we close, let me, let me say this. The reason why I'm diving deep into this, and I know this was kind of a deep theological dive, is because you need to know that Jesus is a bigger deal than what we have been teaching you about him. The only reason why Jesus isn't a big deal is not because of scripture. It's because we wanted to elevate humanity, so we had to lower all the other characters. We had to make everybody in the auditorium beautiful and awesome and fantastic. So we had to take all that as above all things, lower it so that it's called humanism. We had to raise you up in order for, for us to look good. But I'm telling you, when Jesus is, when we have Jesus exactly where he's supposed to be, all the other episodes of life begin to make sense. Everything else is in its proper place. You need to know he is a better story. You need to know that the word of God is not some collection of human anecdotes or learning experiences. It is God's story. And we need to abide in it. Jesus is a better story. He's ranked higher than any other character coming against your life. That's why Paul in Philippians 2 said this, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the end game. This is how it ends. So that's why it's so important. You know, if you want to dabble in Buddha and the wisdom of Buddha, yeah, read a book. But just know this. He was a man who lived and died and is now buried. He is not reigning over anything. If you want to read about Muhammad and possibly some of his wisdom, read a book. If you want the eternal God of heaven who is over all stories, Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And at the end of the story, we're already been told, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So why wait to the end game? Why not align with his story now and experience his forgiveness, his love, his power, his strength, his promises, his words, his eternal wisdom. It's time to start following him. It's time for us to start trusting Jesus. Remember, fear is just believing a lesser story. That's what fear is. Fear is when your mind embraces a lesser story. It's like you saying, I believe the Hulk is greater than Scarlet Witch. So well, that's, that's cool. It's not right. But you know, you can be in that. And sometimes we can fall in love with our fear stories. Oh, can I say this? We fall in love with our hate stories. We do that all the time in America. We figure out who to hate and that becomes our story. How about we figure out who to love and let all other stories kneel before that? Because I'll believe, I believe Jesus will reconcile all stories. Your biggest threat here today, and I, this is your biggest threat. I would say these are two. It's not the devil, because he's over heaven and earth, over things above the earth, and I don't even know what those are and things under the earth, and I don't even know what those things are, but they, they sound kind of scary, <laughs> um, kind of powerful. Your biggest threat um, is you getting stuck in your story. It's you thinking that you're all there is, that your pain, your success, your failure, if, if, if one of these other powers like the devil can get you to think that there's nothing else other than your story. That's a, that's a threat. And then the second threat is this, is unbelief. Is that you don't believe there is somebody who's over the whole story. So let me encourage you today. Let me challenge you today. Where do you rank Jesus? You cannot you cannot leave here today with a Jesus who is a good guy. You cannot leave here today with a Jesus who is the best of us. You cannot leave here with a Jesus who is more moral or got it right better than the rest of us. Because that's not who Jesus says he is. 
Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus said, I am God. Jesus said, I am the Father. Jesus said, I am the Word. Jesus said, I am the life and the truth and the resurrection. And either you take that story, there is no other Jesus. There is no other Jesus. So I think it's time for us to get back to the, the story as it's really been told to us. Father, I thank you so much because I, I, like everybody else, have allowed lesser characters, players on the theater of the stage of time, antagonists to rise up that seem like they're the most dangerous, most powerful characters in our world. God, you are Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit reigning over our universe, authoring our universe, the beginning, the end, the Alpha, the Omega. And so God, for some of us, this is a moment when we come up and take the communion, take this tangible touch, a reminder of the list. Maybe some of us will have to say, God, I am sorry because I put my, my children above you. I put my job above you. I put the color of my skin above you. I put my gender above you. I put my failure above you. I put my cancer above you. And we all do it. We get caught in an episode and we forget about the list, the one who is greatest. And today, Lord, we returned to Jesus Christ, the 33-year-old man who laid down his life on the cross but rose up again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We returned to the right understanding that that was no just man. That was God with us. And today, Lord God, we bow our knees. Every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me invite you to return to an authentic, genuine, true story that is the only story about Jesus. Jesus, Christ and Lord over all.